Before we say uh, farewell to Passover, I'd like to spend just a few final moments contemplating the festival. How many of you had a Seder this year? How many of you had two Seders this year? <laughs> it's always baffling to me to see how many Reformed Jews have two nights of Passover. I've never really understood it. Of course, I'm delighted that so many of our people observe two nights of the festival. I'm in favor of anything that encourages non-Orthodox Jews to do Jewish. We don't do enough Jewish things. Given that so many Reform Jews experience jolting spasms of tradition on Passover, why would a rabbi seek to discourage that observance? You know, I'd even make up a Jewish festival or some extension of Jewish observance if I thought I could get away with it, you know, do Jewish things, and if one day, many, many years from now, you seek me out and you say there was no such thing, you made it up, complain about that 20 years from now. Still, what's with the second night? Almost none of us do the second day of the last day of Passover. That's tomorrow. For most of us and for all Israelis, Passover concludes now, sundown, tonight. We don't do the first days of the last two or the last two days of Sukkot. Israelis don't do two days. Two days is a diaspora basically orthodox, although conservatives following halacha also. It's basically a diaspora halachic observance that is actually not followed by the majority of Jews worldwide. So why the rush to religiosity on the second night of Passover? Why is that night different from all other nights? Second festival nights or first festival nights for that matter. I mean, let's be real. How many Jews observe the first day of the festival of Sukkot? Assuming it's a weekday, you know, every year we're up in the library and we see the phones are ringing off the hook and then afterwards people write us and they complain, how come nobody's answering the phones? It's a Tuesday. <laughs> On Shavuot, which arrives in six weeks, that's even worse. Hardly anyone even knows it's Shavuot, which is too bad because Shavuot is a really key Jewish festival. So why the rush to observe a second Seder? Leftovers. I don't know. Do you know? You're the ones who do it. What? In-laws, food, yeah. Leftovers. Okay. Whatever. As I said, I'm the last to complain. Keep doing it. But let me ask you this. Did you manage to reach the end of the Agada? Did you manage to reach the end of the Agada twice? Such pious religiosity. You know, people have different traditions. Some whiz through the Agada in record time. Some take all night. 
Others give up. Before the service did that. At eight o'clock? That's it? They give up at eight? They give up after the meal? Considering it an effort in futility to pick up after the meal or some cruel and unusual punishment after consuming the full Seder meal for the second time in a row. If you manage to reach the end of the agada, let me ask you, what are the final words? Next year in Jerusalem. I want to spend a couple of moments on that phrase. What do we mean by that? Next year in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is central. It's not next year in Manhattan or next year in Paris. It is Jerusalem, the city on the hill that King David 3,000 years ago proclaimed as the eternal capital of the Jewish people. A thousand years before Christianity and 1,600 years before Islam. As you know, I'm moved by our people's miraculous restoration. The return of the Jews to Zion is a miracle of biblical proportions, the likes of which have not been seen in the whole history of civilization. If you've never been, or you want to see the city of gold again, mark your calendar. We'll be traveling together as a synagogue next March 2017. Literally, for us, next year in Jerusalem, come travel with us. Don't deprive yourselves of the opportunity to reconnect with your people. I understand the phrase next year in Jerusalem to include not only symbolism, but the real Jerusalem. The place where I grew up. The streets, the sounds, the locus of so much Jewish energy. While I lament the current state of politics in Jerusalem, I embrace the fact that Jews even have political power. I know that in our age of deep cynicism and destructive politics, it's hard to fully appreciate that there is nothing inherently invalid in politics. And there is nothing inherently immoral about having military power. Politics is the way we resolve disputes. It's better than war. And an army is the way that we protect our rights, liberties, and lives. I wish it were not the case. I wish that the earthly Jerusalem would transform into what our tradition describes as Yerushalayim Shalmala, the heavenly Jerusalem where all shall live in peace and none shall be afraid. I wish it were the case. But until such time, I am heartened by the existence of a Jewish army. The great tragedy of Jewish history is for the past 2,000 years, we removed ourselves from the political world and we held little or no power. One cursory glance at Jewish history is enough to convince even the deepest skeptic that powerlessness for the Jews 
was usually catastrophic. We know the truth. If the ambassadors of hypocrisy and the messengers of hate were to succeed in depriving Israel of its legitimate self-defense, the barbarians at the gate would massacre the Jews of Israel as they are massacring Muslims. And as Jews have been persecuted by the ancestors of these murderers, for many centuries. It is of course the case that political and military power create a whole range of different challenges, some of which Jews and Israelis have failed to reach even according to our lofty standards. But one of the central lessons of Jewish history is that it is far better and safer to have power and to grapple with its proper moral application than to be deprived of military and political power and be subject to the whims of those who wield them. This has almost always produced hardship and suffering for the Jews. But I don't even think that Jerusalem is the main point of the phrase, L'shanah haba next year in Jerusalem. I think the main point is next year. That really captures the essence of Judaism and the central principle of Passover. Judaism is always about the next year. It's always about the future. And it's not some namby-pamby concept of unrealities some way, way distant in the future. It's not even the age-old religious dream of a messianic era of peace and prosperity somewhere, sometime in the distant horizon. It's next year. In Judaism, we order our lives by next year. What are we going to do next year? Judaism is more about the future than it is about the past. The Seder itself is centrally designed for children who are the centerpiece of the show and ask the four questions. We do everything we can to engage them throughout, I guess what you do, two long evenings. In our tradition, the golden age was not in the past. It's still to come. Our best days are still ahead. We don't yearn for days gone by. We dream of days to come. We do not worship the past, the opposite. Judaism is alive only if it's growing, changing, and developing. We never despaired. We were too busy struggling to survive. Pessimism was a luxury for people who were better off. We never had the time. It's easy to despair, to look at the history of human lies, cruelty, war, and ignorance, and to assume that it'll always be this way. A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, we will be the same miserable, brutish creatures. But there's always next year. Every year, there's always next year. 
A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, there will be Jews reciting what we recited, next year in Jerusalem. That's what we mean when we say next year in Jerusalem. We have confidence that a thousand years from now, our descendants will be saying next year in Jerusalem. That's what the future is. Next year, and another year, and another year, extending out to the distant horizons. I don't know whether younger people even think that far. We have a beautiful group here from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who brought the weather with them as well. <laughs> Do younger generations envision Jews a millennium from now? Do you ever think about that? Or even a century from now? Can younger people even envision a world in the year 2116? Or are we so hooked nowadays on the next second, the next minute, the next news cycle, the next 24-hour-a-day plugged-in world, and are younger people so pessimistic because of the way their elders have mucked up the climate, environmentally and morally, to even think of the next century? Or is that considered an act of folly? Judaism always believed in next year. We believed it not only as a prayer, but as a plan, a plan for life. We chart the path ahead, and we march on. Next year, and another year, and another year, ever onwards towards the promised land.